right, Black Box Radio. We're in the Rona Report. We have Tori Rose. Say hi to the people, Sister Tori. Hello there. Hello. Thanks for having me. Glad you're with us. Listen, um, tell the folks what you do professionally every day, and then we're going to talk about the impact. Awesome. So every single day, um, my son says I'm a superhero. He says I have the hardest job in the world, which means I'm an educator. And so uh, I teach professionally um, in high school. I teach for a living, but I also teach adults um, everything from career readiness to uh, reading, writing, math skills, how to read a paycheck, how to open a bank account. And so uh, ever since a little girl, I've been a lifelong a learner and I've been a lifelong educator. And so professionally, you can call me a teacher or you can just call me Tori. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And you're campaigning. We can't leave that. I out. am campaigning. I'm running for city council in District 7. Uh, the only woman in the race and the only person who was born and raised in the 7th district um, in the community, West Baltimore, where I'm uh, you know, vying to get the seat. I believe I'm currently the people's choice and I'm just excited about what's going to happen on June 2nd because our city and our communities deserve authentic people who understand the landscape and also have a historical understanding of what has happened uh, to our communities. And it's, it's devastating. So I am Tory Rose on the ballot, District 7 City Council. Please check me out. Google me and come out and vote. Well, mail out to vote <laughs> on June 2nd. <laughs> okay. And, um, okay, so District 7, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so can you kind of give the people, like, the what's District 7? Like the line? Sure, so Hilton uh, and North Avenue to North and Park, you know, so straight down North Avenue. Mm-hmm. If you want to go Ashburton, uh, Hanlon, Hampton. So mm-hmm. that's very interesting because we stretch, stretch over to Hampton. Coppin Heights, Gilmore Homes, Sandtown, Winchester, we have two bodies of water. We have uh, the Hilton Reservoir as well as Drew Hill Park Lake. Okay. Um, so it's huge, very big, big district. Um, we have uh, predominantly, I would say, 80 to 84 percent of our district is African-American. We have some predominantly uh, Caucasian parts of our district like Hampton. And Hampton mm-hmm. has its own uh, its own culture. And so it take someone who not only has the emotional intelligence, but who understands people to be able to represent all people without condemning or dismissing some people. And so I'm grateful that I worked in the federal government for over a decade where I had to learn to respect people for just who they are and meet people where they are. And so I think I have, you know, the skills that are necessary to be able to meet the people where they are and whatever the needs are that they have. I love that emotional intelligence. You threw some shade on some folks. <laughs> Listen, you said it. It's only a, it's only a tree if you catch it. It's <laughs> growing. <laughs> that emotional intelligence. I heard that. So okay, yeah. so we're gonna kind of um, segue into that, and then mm-hmm. let's talk about you because you uh-huh. were a candidate for the longest in Baltimore City. Because yes. we have to talk about Baltimore City, and I saw you um, being a candidate. And you mm-hmm. were the only one in the seventh district. You were unappointed right. for the longest. Yeah. And so now you're saying you're the only women amongst mm-hmm. other um, people who are actually um, campaigning. How did that happen? So they just applied. What, end or they just applied. They- yeah. Baltimore City's charter does not put a lot in place. You don't have to have a litman's test. You don't have to prove that you are skilled or qualified to do the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, literally, you just have to have fifty dollars. 
uh, live in the district and uh, the desire to put your name on a ballot. And so it is it's it's mind boggling because it's such a robust responsibility when you're talking thousands and thousands of people that you're supposed to represent. But there is no measurement of, you know, your qualifications. So anyone that's over 18 uh, for some positions, I know the mayor's position um, and some other positions have to be 21 or 25, just like the presidential race, you know, there's qualifiers. But for city council, it can be anybody who decides, you know, hey, I want to go do this just to see what happens. Or if they're positioned by other uh, politicians to get in the race. And so for me, being the only person for over a year uh, and consistently saying that before I told the community what I was going to do, I was going to hear from the community, hear the needs so that I could assess what needs were real, what needs were already could potentially be met through city services. And so that I could advocate for all of our people in a way that made sense. It allowed other people to say, mm, she's not really my cup of tea or mm. she's not manipulable in a way that serves my agenda. And so what has happened is we have everybody who, uh, you know, some uh, current politicians who are throwing their proverbial horse in the race. Mm. And, you know, people frequently will say, well, that's politics. And to me, that's corruption. And so what we need to get away from is uh, the historical emphasis on this is just the way politics goes, especially when for my personal family, we've lost over eight loved ones to gun violence. This can't be just the way things go. Mm. And so, you know, I, I was in a vulnerable position as the only person because anything I said or did gave the competition an opportunity to say, well, how do we craft a message, you know, that's different from what she's saying. But the great thing is the community has got to see my name, my face and my work for, you know, all of this time, well before anyone else was even thinking about jumping into the race. Yes. So you're very recognizable in that in that district because, you, yes. you know, so that's presence right. matters. You know, you can live there, but people uh -huh. know it doesn't. <laughs> that's the number one thing. Yeah. So, hmm. That makes sense. Um, that's what happens in politics. You know, we put uh -huh. the person that we feel comfortable in. Uh -huh. And we put our time, we put um, all of our um, stacks behind them, right? And we, you know, and that's and that's why things stay the same. But I really think the charter has to start stating some action, has to have teeth, and right. you need more experience, I think, than just fifty dollars. <laughs> so <laughs> right. that's not enough. Mm -hmm. I mean, and we see why how lack of experience. You see where we are now? We got Trumpy. <laughs> I mean, you got Trumpy. <laughs> <laughs> we got hey, we got Jacko. Oh, let me stop. You know, and even with that, I, I think you bring up a great point. But he mm -hmm. needs help. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You, you bring up a great point. And so um the world is ever changing and we have all of these, you know, uh, addendums and amendment uh, amendments that happen. And so we have to look at what makes sense for an ever-changing community and for a community that has, um, you know, multi-facets of, uh, multi-layers of disenfranchisement. So you can't, and now the problem is who gets to say what the criteria is. So for me, again, like I said, I first uh, was an educator before anything else. And then I went into the federal government. I don't have a JD. I don't have, you know, a doctor's, uh, you know, before my name. What is the measurement? And so I think that 
for something like city council where you have to know legislative policy, but you can learn how to legislate. You can't learn how to be a people person. You can't learn how to meet the constituents where they are. And so, you know, I'm just interested. I believe wholeheartedly I'm going to win. I believe that my community is going to come forward and they're going to put someone that is homegrown in that position. But then what do we how do we move forward with saying what the measurement is? And I think that's where sometimes we come very close to disenfranchising, even when we're trying to help, because there's still a democratic process. Mm-hmm. And what keeps the democratic process pure is that anybody, a Tory Rose, can roll out her bed one day and say, hey, I'm going to run. You know, I don't even tell people I have a degree in political science. I always say I have a degree in people. And <laughs> but to the politicians, that's not good enough because that makes me an outsider. You know, you're not talking the talk or walking the walk of the political people. And so that makes you an outsider. So it's interesting. I'm interested to see what the people want. Very interesting. And if you are a person who's like following politics per se, and this is my last politics, like mm-hmm. if, because this is a conversation that we can continue and continue, continue. But if we look at the last election cycle and we look at what happened in Georgia with Brian Kemp and Stacey, uh-huh. and, and then we look at what happened in Florida with um, the black guy in this, um, the franchise or the franchise, whatever his name is. And then now they're making these uh, reckless movements. As we're in mm-hmm. COVID, Brian Kemp, he's opening up Georgia. This guy had the beaches open forever. And I'm not saying that it's because it's black or white. I'm saying that we have people who've changed the political process. Brian Kemp was the secretary mm-hmm. of state. He, yeah. pur- he purged the voting rolls. So we say like, you know, the, the charter doesn't have teeth, but these boys have their little things that they're doing that manipulates the process. Most certainly. You understand? Most certainly. And it doesn't make it fair because um, you look at um, Sister Stacy, she is, she is, she's a bright star. She's a mm-hmm. smart lady. And um, it seems that she has empathy for all people. I don't know about Brian Kemp, but if he's opening up Georgia on Friday, he's an idiot. Yeah, yeah. So that's the, I don't know him personally, and for but from what I've seen, and as a secretary of state, he didn't recuse himself. He didn't move his, himself away from the process. He stayed in, and he was also a candidate for governor. It's just like you can say one thing, and what people should you know can be in politics, but then they change the rules and they tweak stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and so, w- w- how do you win? It, it keeps the people in a place like this stuff ain't you know it's not for me because. They're lying and cheating all day long. That's how people feel. Well, and that's the truth. And I, I mean, if I can be 100% transparent, which is what I yeah, normally I'm am, like, <laughs> I feel that way at times. I feel like that. And I, mm-hmm. I am consistently in a battle of explaining to people why their voice matters, why their vote matters, why they can't disengage, why you have to still have an interest. You cannot say, well, this is just the way it goes. You can't move your family out of Baltimore and say, oh, it's not going to affect me. You know, Mm -hmm. I think about both of the gentlemen you um, you mentioned, Brian Kemp and uh, DeSantis. DeSantis. They they have the 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 makeup, the political makeup. They went to the right high school. They both were in a Naval Academy. You know, I think DeSantis was an attorney. And so I can look at those same characteristics in my race and say, yeah, you are by the politician's playbook. But this is the problem. I love my Jewish brothers and sisters. I do. I have worked with them. I serve with them. And I think we can do a lot of learning from them, how they do things. And Mm -hmm. so in our communities, we don't come behind one candidate. 
We will play the neutral card all day for the fear of being alienated. And so there's no way and no reason that Stacey lost. No way, no reason. Yep. We were excited. People were flying down and driving down from Baltimore to support her, from New York. I had friends who were going down to campaign for her. How did she lose? It was really close. I mean, it was close. She did make a difference, but he, you oh, know, well, certainly roles. And I mean, they did everything to put him in there. I mean, yes, they did. And we have to, as a people, come together and say, yep. not this time. Not this time. And so, what I'm asking for District 7 is to get away from who you're afraid of, get away from thinking that there's going to be political retaliation. I've had people come to me and say, Tori, I'm voting for you, but I'm afraid to put a sign in my window because I may need something from the city in the future and I don't want to be retaliated against. That is a problem. And Mm -hmm. it's a problem that people are not talking about this culture that exists. And so Mm -hmm. I understand that I have a target on my back. I understand when I I walk in a room, there's eyes that are being rolled. But if we don't call out and we don't stand up for the, the the injustices, excuse me, and the disservices that are being done, Where's our future? And then here in my district, we can't point the race card and say black and white and all of these different things because the leadership is predominantly black. So it's us against us. And so we have to then say politics versus people. I want the people to stand up and rise. I want the people to stand up and, and understand that we were the first true Jews and that God is a black man or a black entity or Jesus was black or whatever it is that you guys have to tap into to give yourself your rightful power to say my streets should not look like this. Jesus is black. I'm oh, sorry. it's no way. Yeah, Listen, I, every time I go to visit my family, I have family, I have family in countries that are near the equator. Mm-hmm. And I come home and my skin is different. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I come back here and I start sneezing and coughing. But the whole time I'm there, I don't sneeze or cough. I can eat the fruit from the tree. That's a huh. whole nother story. You have to bring me back um, for that conversation. Yeah, we got to bring you back for that. And so understand that nobody could have been from that part of the world and not had pigment and not had melanin and not had, you know, the Bible itself, if we believe in the the Bible. Bible There is a verse that explains Jesus. I don't see no blonde hair and no blue eyes. Yeah. Right. Hair like wool. Another (laughs) topic. Right. And I guess I'm not supposed to talk about religion and politics, but I don't understand how people separate the two. And separating the two is the reason that we have a mayor and have had mayors and have had other representation that can watch homeless people right outside of City Hall and not feel any kind of empathy or compassion. There's no reason that we have vacant homes that outnumber the amount of, of homeless people, but our homeless people don't have homes to go to. And so it is our social responsibility to take care of the least amongst us. It is our godly responsibility to take care of them as well. And so because we separate God and, and church and religion and politics and all of that is the reason that we now see children being shot in the middle of the day, walking to the store, and then we continue work as normal. It's not normal. It's not normal. So let's talk about your life because you're a mother. So how yeah. are you feeling? Where's your headspace as being a parent? We're good. Um, a few years ago, well, first of all, my son was born during the 2008 um, economic crisis. 
And so the work and time that I spent in the federal government, I was a a civilian first responder. And so Mm -hmm. I've always had the forethought and the wherewithal of emergency plans and hunkering down and making sure that we have things, even if we don't need it, because it's better to, you know, have it and not need it than need it and not have it. And so I've been doing like uh, these tips about water and safety and that type of thing. So we're good. Um, We also practice mindfulness in my house. And so there's times that we turn TVs off, we turn, you know, phones off and we focus on quiet time because I've had to teach my son how to settle himself. And so personally, we're fine. Um, He was able to speak on a conference call with some other kids across the city. He's talking about the fact that he started a pen pal club. And so he's bringing back skills, writing skills. So he has kids that are writing him from New York and Washington, D.C. and different places across the East Coast. Um, And as an educator and also as a historian, you know, I'm introducing him, reintroducing him to you know, the scholars and to the people who have made uh, a difference in Black history, you know, and his own history. And so we've personally been okay. Sounds like it. He started a, you said, what kind of club was it? That's amazing. It's, um, it's Pen Pal. Remember back in the day they used yeah. to have Pen Pal? Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, so he, he goes out, we get the stamps, he drops it off in the, in the post office. And then, you know, in a couple of days he gets a new letter. And I think at this point, point he's 11 years old it's more so about uh reinforcing accountability so of course he's a kid right so sometimes he doesn't want to write his letter and sometimes he can't focus and I just ask him what kind of person do you want to be because your word is your bond and so if you start something you got to finish it and so um the other day we were reading something and it was about Malcolm X. And he said, I'm no longer going to call him Malcolm X to you, mommy. I'm going to reverence the brother by his real name. And that touched me because if I say al Haj Malik Al-Shabazz to most people, they're looking at me like I'm crazy. But my 11-year-old understood that there was power in a name. And so mm-hmm. he's in a very different space, having a mother who's the first person in our family to run for office, having a mother who always is upsetting the status quo. Like he's mm-hmm. completely in a different place. What I will say is we're talking about his mental health a lot. You know, mm-hmm. how do you feel? Can you put it into words? How do you feel? Mm-hmm. And I think that that is something a little different because in school, in a pr- traditional school setting, they don't always get time to be introspective and take a moment and say, I feel this way. You know, they're moving and shaking. And so having yeah. a distance learning opportunity gives them a moment to say, mm, I feel conflicted or I don't want to work on math right now. I want to work on science. Like there's there's something great in this. And if parents really, really spend this time getting in sync with their children, they'll figure out what kind of children they have, how they learn best and how they can most maximize this learning experience for their child. And so my child's a kinesthetic learner. And my, my child, I understand he has to keep it moving. And so it, it just looks a little different in our house. Sister Tori, you got to tell us what kinesthetic, you know, we don't know. What kinesthetic, <laughs> kinesthetic is like a person who learns by their hands. Most men are. And so if G is still anywhere on here, most men open the yeah, box. And <laughs> right, right. Most men just open the box and start tinkering. They don't read the instructions or any of that. They got to be hands on. Yeah, and yeah. women, we're like, oh, scared to sit on the chair. And he like, sit down. It's good, you know, because yeah. it is a it is something naturally in our men 
to be creative and to build and to reproduce with their hands, right? And so my son is much like that. He wants to touch it. He wants to get in it. He's also a photographer. So he's doing his own little things. What I work on with him is then retention and recall. And so even though you learned it because you had your hands in it, can you then uh, give it to me in my learning style? I'm an auditory learner. I have to hear it. And so can you then recall it and give it to me in a way that I can benefit from what you just learned? And so that is a learning cycle that we are working on at home. Um, And then hopefully he can be a peer leader when he talks to his classmates, you know, and kind of help them with, you know, they're different. So not everybody's going to approach things the same way. He has a lot more leeway because I know that he's not going to sit down for four hours straight and do his work. And I'm okay with that. But when he does his work, my expectation is that it's done in excellence. Got it. Got it. So you know your child. And, uh, yeah. And a 11 lot of, hard years. <laughs> yeah, they send their kids to school and they mm-hmm. expect for, for this education to just somebody to throw it in them. You know, they do out their homework and then go back to the person. But Mm -hmm. we have to be more hands on with our kids. And and I can you have explained every piece of your child and you actually Uh let him learn. And then is teaching him how to teach. Most certainly. And and that's amazing. You know, that 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 is the power of learning. But, you know, and and when parents take that time, it's amazing how the fruit you're going to get from that as an adult. Most certainly. You know, so that, that's, a, that's a, a totally beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. Okay. So we know your candidate. We know your mother, your mm-hmm. ex-government, um, your Christian. I heard all of that. Love the Lord. He loves me. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a beautiful place to be. So as <laughs> creative, when this is all over, are you working on something? You writing 10 books? I mean, what you doing? Are you working on something to introduce to the world? Other than I know we're going to be the city council. So mm-hmm. what are you working on when those gates open? What's what's going to be so, moving some restructuring, some okay. rebranding. Um, mm-hmm. I had started a book before I left the federal government called Force Your Future Forward. Mm-hmm. And I heard God say, I need you to stop before I released it. These these months, these last 19 months are a vital part of the book. And so Force Your Future Forward is talking about going from motivation, which isn't really real. Motivation doesn't exist to activation. And so motivation, you can be as motivated as you want and still sit on the couch, cheering from the couch. Activation is in alignment with discipline when you understand that you have to get up and do it regardless if you feel like it or not. And so one thing we have to do is be able to manage and and control our emotions. How you feel doesn't matter. And so even with, like you said about teaching my son how to teach, none Mm -hmm. of us are here for us. All of us are here to be a benefit to someone else. And so there's no point of you being here if you're not going to then pour into someone else or help someone else. And so Force Your Future Forward is my book. Hopefully it'll be out by my birthday in February uh, of 2021. And so that'll come out. Also, I'm restructuring my business. A few years ago, I started an organization called Theo and Theo stands for together helping each other overcome, but it was a business and and God said, it's not supposed to be a business. It's supposed to be a not-for-profit and there are tiers to helping our communities overcome. So overcome joblessness, overcome poverty, overcome substance abuse with the ability to then take what you've learned 
and turn it into something that you can then build out and grow. So anyone who comes through our programs will be learning how to start a business, how to purchase a home, how to invest their money uh, in a in a portfolio that's going to yield them as close to 12% interest as possible. Ooh. We're also going to talk about the things that are important. Profit? 12%? That's for profit. Yeah, well, no, that's for their profit. We ain't getting none of that. <laughs> if I taught you, if I told you that you put your money in a bank and that bank may be may be offering you, uh, you know, point zero one percent. Yep. You're never going to attain wealth like that. And so we are significantly behind the wealth curve in our communities. No one's teaching us the importance of life insurance. No one's teaching us the importance mm-hmm. of uh, bitcoins and e-commerce and e-money. We're not having these conversations. And so there's a way that we can we can bridge these conversations. Re-entering citizens, they need to know how to come into this world. You may have been arrested since before the internet existed. How do you come back and feel like you're uh, a sustained member of society? There has to be a platform. And so before I was the candidate, I was the connector. I've always gone in and built bridges between organizations. And so together, helping each other overcome will be my 501c3 entity. And I hope that it'll be the benchmark for what 501c3 should look like, because in our state, we have over 200 nonprofits established every uh, every month, every mm-hmm. month, not every year, every month. And then when you go and you call those people on the carpet and say, well, here it says your mission is to feed children. But I haven't seen you at all feeding any children during the COVID crisis. If not anything, our city should not have to do a half of what they do. Mind you, they're only doing half of what they can do. But my point is the nonprofits with so many of them emerging in our city, there should be uh, no gaps, no gaps, no gaps in education, no gaps in technology, no gaps in environmental awareness, no gaps in social support, because we have over 200 nonprofits a month being started in our state. Tory Rose Baltimore is the incubator for the nonprofit um, industrial complex. This is nonprofit land. And because and, and some of the issues that we have as communities and as a society in Baltimore is, to me, is they use it as the lab so they can continue to incubate these uh-huh. types of nonprofits and continue to pull this money to certain people and, and not actually helping the community. And we see it over and over and over. And it's been going on for a very long time. And we, need, we need effectual leadership. Jacko, like your brother as my brother. I mean, I like my brother, but you got to go, Jacko, because we need we need effectual leadership, and not that he's so bad and he's so this because this is not something that he was elected to. He was so so. I get that, but we cannot Uh elect that type of leadership again. He makes he's very irresponsible sometimes with his statements. Um, Yeah, (laughs) we know this, but Baltimore Uh has a. I'm going to get off of the politics and everything, but the nonprofit, as you say, the nonprofit industrial complex in Baltimore is big and it's an incubator here. And uh-huh. it's, it presents the the biggest probably problem we have after education. Most certainly. Yeah. All right, Sister Rose, you are, I mean, you have, you brought it today, but we definitely, Thank you. you did. We need that LYT from you though. I'm excuse me, that LWT, that last will and testament, that inspiration, that jewel, um, give the people something so they can feel lifted. All right. So if I could give a jewel, my jewel would be, of course, and I'm sure people have said this, but it's so important. Be the change 
that your grandchildren deserve. Mm. And too frequently we operate as if it's just us and our immediate lineage. But even if Paris Hilton did not know who her grandparents were, she has been positively affected by the hard work, tenacity, and determination they had to build something. And so be the change in the community, be the change in your household, be the change in politics, in education, in health that your grandchildren deserve. And if we do that, then we can come off of self-righteousness and we could actually build something and we could bring back a sense of community that is is a community we established is Mm -hmm. ours and we have walked away from our identity and we've walked away from our culture and we are walking around in identity crisis. And so that's it. Be the change your grandchildren deserve. Awesome. Awesome. G. Tori, thank you so much for your powerful insights and perspective, both as a leader in the community as an educator and as a parent, we really appreciate you taking the time to spend with us today. Thank you for having me and many blessings to you both. Please stay safe. For all of our listeners right now, if you've enjoyed this conversation, you can find more of the Rona Report at blackboxradio.com. That's B-L-A-K-B-O-X-X-R-A-D-I-O.com, where you can find all of the interviews that we've had going all the way back to 91919. You can also find Black Box Radio on Facebook and Instagram at Black Box and on Twitter at Box Black. That's B O X X B L A K. And if you're hearing this conversation, we really need for you to help us spread the word. The uh, information, our Rona Report has been suppressed on these platforms. So we really depend on the support of the community so that we can all hear these important voices. All right. All right. So this is the Rona Report. And we had Tori Rose. Tori, thank you so much. Your perspective was amazing. We appreciate you. Thank you. Many blessings to you. You too. This is Black Box Radio. It is 42220. We out. Peace. Peace.